And this morning, I'm talking about this concept of the wilderness. It's almost a term that got, kind of gets thrown around in like the church industry. And uh, we use it so flippantly. And we forget that like people who aren't around this setting a lot, they don't know what you're talking about when you say, uh, make a reference to like being in a wilderness journey or being in the wilderness. Uh, they literally think that maybe you were out in the woods somewhere for, for some time and maybe you lost your mind there. Um, so the concept that I want to present this morning and who I'm looking for and who that word reconciliation applies to is the wilderness is a preparation time. And what happens there is you get prepared because the father is wanting to give you something really good. The Bible calls them promises. He's promised you some things. And those promises are of such magnitude and they are so good that if you're not prepared to handle them, they might crush you. I think about this analogy. Um, You know, a vehicle is a good thing. But if I were to start my truck up and set my five-year-old in there and throw it in the drive and close the door and back away, like, do you think something good or bad is going to happen in that moment? It's bad. It's going to be bad. So the wilderness, the purpose of that is it's a preparation time because the Father has something good for you. Who wants to be able to receive the good things that the Father has? Perfect. But what can happen over time is that he can promise you these things because he's speaking to you. And you're listening. You're reading something in the scripture. Oh, yeah, I want that. He's promised it to you. And some time passes, and it feels like some events are happening in your life where you're actually getting farther away from the things that he's promised you. Or that he's just holding out on you. It's like, I know, God, that you've promised me this. Like, I could really use it right now, and you're hanging on to it. It may feel that way, at least. But we know that God is not a God who just withholds things from us. He says he gives us good gifts if we ask for them. So what's the, what's the in-between spot? There's a tension that builds in that moment, isn't it? It's like, God, you're holding out on me. And like, maybe some bitterness can creep in, a little bit of resentment. We're in a culture, especially in this geographical region, to where if we were to admit something, like we would have some tension between us and God, then we get shamed Quickly. Right? But in James it says to confess your sins so that you may be healed. So it's actually in the honesty is where we find the partnership with healing, right? So can we just be honest this morning? I'm looking for that person who might be in that tension. And they know that what God has for them is right, just right there. But they just can't seem to, ugh. What are your hands full of that you just need to get rid of? Or how do you need to be prepared to receive what God has for you? And so that's what I want to talk about. The preparation uh, for what, I don't care what you call it, sermon, talk, presentation. I'm just talking to you guys, just being real. What this is, is actually um, constructed from a really honest uh, time where I was sitting uh, early one morning and I was just being honest with the Lord. 
It was a journal entry. I never thought that it would make an appearance to the public, uh, but it is. And uh, so that's where I'm coming from uh, this morning of just really what I've learned because I was asking the Lord, God, I don't want to be like Israel to where they just didn't get it for 40 years. And all these generations had to die before what you had promised them actually came, became a reality. And I don't want to live a life where I have to die before my sons can get what you have to give our family. So I need to learn what it is that I need to learn that will prepare me to steward what you want to give me. And so this is what that's from. But first, uh, like I said, <clears throat> a lot of people, they just you know, aren't aware of that concept of the wilderness. So I just want to hit uh, three quick things. Gosh, it sounds like a self-help program already. I want to mention some things that I observed to help you know if you're in the wilderness or not. Because you might be sitting there thinking, I don't really know if I'm being prepared for anything or not. So here they are. Are you ready? Do you have something to write with? I'll give you a quick second to pull out your notebook. I trust you that you're using the notes app on your phone if you have your phone out and you're looking at it, okay? I'm not going to suspect that you're texting someone and be like, man, this is terrible. I'm sorry, I was weeping earlier, so I got like some drainage. Just edit that out, Jared. Here we go. So, are you on a wilderness journey or not? Here's how you can know. If your normal way of doing life isn't working for you anymore. If your normal way of life is not working for you anymore. Have you ever been in this position? A lot of people have routines, right? I get up in the morning. Sometimes I go to the gym. Sometimes I'll sit and I'll journal on my computer. Sometimes I'll help get the boys up and get them ready. We'll do breakfast. I'll come to work for a couple hours, couple hours, somewhere between 8 and 16 hours. That's usually a Sunday through a, a Thursday situation. Then I come home, hang out with the family on Friday and Saturday, do the honeydew list. I have a pallet wall in my house. There's a small corner of it that's unfinished, and it's been like that for about nine months. It's because I only have a six-foot ladder. There's one right back here that's tall enough. I just keep forgetting to borrow it for nine months. Okay? It happens, you know? Now you're not alone. You're not the only procrastinator. But that little routine, like I get a lot of fulfillment. I'm a person I like to go and do. My first language is action. My second one is English. So I have a routine. Maybe you're you're not so regimented. Maybe you get up and you just kind of do whatever you want. You just float throughout the day. That's how my wife is. She's a hippie at heart. She hates itineraries. We're getting ready to go on a trip soon. And I said, you know what? We should like make an itinerary to make sure we get the most out of this trip. She's like, you want to do what? That takes all the fun out of it. I'm like, I'm trying to schedule fun. The truth is, though, sometimes I I found myself 
where the regular way that I do life, I'm not finding any satisfaction at all anymore. Things that I used to love to do, I will clean a room for two hours just to sit down for 10 minutes and enjoy a clean room. You know what I mean? But then there comes a time, you get, there's some therapeutic things in that. I'll come into the kitchen. I'm going to be 30 minutes in here. It's going to be spick and span. It's going to be like ready for show. I'm not selling my house, but if people want to come and look at it, they can. I'll see the dishes in the sink. I'm going to knock these out. But then you look at them and you're just like, good gracious. Look at all those dishes. And like you, you like almost get, you experience like a mild depression just looking at them. It's like, I would not wash these dishes for a million dollars right now. Actually, what I want to do is get a trash bag out and just dump all of them in there. I mean, if you got all those dishes, you got too many anyway. Sometimes you find yourself where you have like 72 loads of laundry and you start to question yourself, do I really need this many clothes? I could just, I mean, I've already gone two months without washing a load anyway. I certainly don't need those clothes. I'll toss them, right? So, things you used to like to do, people you used to like, games you used to play, jobs you used to work, small groups you used to lead, businesses that you've started, ministries that you've started, they fulfilled you at one point in time, and now they just don't. Your family dynamic used to be really satisfactory, and now it's not. Israel found themselves in this very situation on their journey from uh, exiting Egypt and going into this land that uh, God had promised them. You know, when you're trying to make an exodus like that, when you're trying to escape slavery, you don't have a whole lot of time to pack up a bunch of clothes and food, right? You're just trying to get your family members and, and peace out as quickly as possible. So they're in the wilderness And the Lord has told them from the very beginning, he told Moses, he said, if you'll do this, if you'll just start this journey, I promise that I'll be with you. And so they begin the journey. Obviously, they don't have any food. God knows this. So every morning they wake up, there's this bread-like substance that has appeared uh, on the ground called manna. And um, that's just part of their daily routine. They don't get any more than they, than they need for that morning. It spoils if they try to save it up. There's a lesson in that all on its own, but that's not where I'm going this morning. But um, <clears throat> The Israelites start to complain to Moses. And they said, this way that we're doing life right now, it's not working. And all of a sudden, the excitement of being free from slavery starts to wear off, and they start to think about Well, we used to have meat, even though we were slaves. We used to have water, a place to sleep. And so this this whole nation, they come to Moses and they start complaining about 
hey, the way that we do life, it's not working for us anymore. Moses goes and he has a little bit of a, he has a little mental breakdown. If you were leading a million people through the desert, you'd have some times of discouragement too. So this is where we find Moses in Numbers chapter 11, verses 11 through 15. It says, Moses said to the Lord, why have you treated your servant so badly? And why haven't I found favor in your eyes? For you have placed the burden of all these people on me. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them that you would say to me, carry them at the breast as a nurse carries an unweaned child to the fertile land that you promised their ancestors? Where am I to get meat for all these people? They are crying before me and saying, give us meat so we can eat. Who knew Dr. Seuss was alive and well during this time? I can't bear this people on my own. They're too heavy for me. If you're going to treat me like this, please kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes, then don't let me endure this wretched situation. So if the way you normally do life is making you feel restless, if you feel like you're on the edge of breakdown, if you feel like there's nothing that you can do to change your situation or change the way you feel, then you might be in the wilderness. If your normal way of life just isn't cutting it anymore. <clears throat> Here's another indicator that you might be in the wilderness. Your ability to dig deep is broken. Your ability to dig deep is broken. So you find yourself in this situation, you're not exactly motivated anymore. You wake up in the morning, you give yourself the pep talk. I'm going to kill this day. I'm going to get up. I'm going to do everything that I need to do. I'm motivated. I'm going to wash those dishes in 10 minutes. 10 minutes later, you're still just laying in the bed. Right? Your pep talk didn't work. You find yourself in these situations where like in your normal routine, you like found ways to feel really close to the Lord. And nothing's necessarily changed physically around you or about your routine, but you you feel like that you're just not connecting to the Lord like you once were. Like we use this terminology, I just don't feel real close to the Lord. And it's not like that you've went on some overnight binger doing all kinds of crazy stuff that you shouldn't be doing. That's not the case. But there's a disconnect. And you're like, you know what? I'm just going to read my Bible more. I'm going to lead three small groups instead of one. I'm going to not listen to any secular music whatsoever. And the only thing I'm going to listen to is worship music. I'm going to read my Bible every night before bed. We're going to pray before every meal and you're going to like it. Nothing changes. There's still the disconnect. And everything that you relied on to try to like build that relationship with the Lord just isn't as effective anymore as you it once was. So if your ability to, to dig deep is broken, you might be in the wilderness. There's this guy, Elijah. Um, Many of us are probably familiar with this story. Um, During Elijah's time, there was uh, another religion, Baal worship. 
And it was, it was pretty nasty if you really research historically all the logistics of this religion. Uh, it did require blood sacrifice. Uh, most of the time it was your own kid, usually. They required uh, child sacrifices. And obviously God was not happy about the situation. And so he came to Elijah and he says, all right, it's time for these people to realize who they really should be serving. And so Elijah, he caused this big showdown to happen between him and all of Baal's prophets, priests, the, the preachers of their time. And he says, this is the, this is the challenge. We're going to build an altar. We're going to put this animal on it. And whoever can pray to their God and get this thing consumed by fire will, will win. It's the one true God. And so all these Baal folks, they come up to the plate first. They're doing all kinds of crazy stuff, trying to worship their God who doesn't even exist. They do crazy things like cut themselves. They're doing everything they can. Elijah's just hanging out. I really would have liked to kind of bend a fly on the wall to see what his nonverbal communicators were. Like, was he laughing at them when this was going down? Was he sorrowful that people could be so deceived? I don't know. Anyways, his time came, and he said, we're going to up the ante. We're going to increase the tension of this situation. And what I want you guys to do, I want you to dig a ditch around this altar, and I want you to put so much water on this altar that it fills up the trench around the altar, that there's a pool there. And then I'm going to commence praying. So they do that. It's soaked. It's not going to burn. I don't care how much diesel fuel you put on it. It's not going to burn. It's so soaked. So Elijah, he prays. He says, God, here I am. It's time to show these people who you are. Then all of a sudden, fire burns it all up. Even those who were standing close to the fire, like the bell worshipers who were standing close there before, they got burned up too. It was so bad. And so all the people realized, they're like, oh, they had a reality check. So there's no Baal, but there is this Yahweh. Okay, we need to start serving him then. So the queen of this region found out she wasn't very pleased with what had happened. She puts out a hit on Elijah. He runs away. And we find him in First Kings 19, verse 4. It says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, is it enough now, O Lord? Take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. So you go from that type of partnership with God that you can, call, that you can ask him to call down fire, fire to wanting to die under a tree. From digging real deep to not. If your ability to dig deep is broken, you might be in the wilderness, friends. So here's another thing that I've noticed about these wilderness journeys. If, if you know that there's something inside of you deep down and that thing is coming to the surface, you don't have to know what it is. You just know there's just like something intangible I'm not talking about indigestion. I'm talking about like in your soul. Something's stirring. It's coming up to the top. 
And you know whatever that is that's coming up, you know you need it for the next thing that's coming in your life. If there's something inside you that's stirring and coming to the top, then you might be in the wilderness. And what that thing is, you don't even know if it's good or bad. It's actually both. But you can feel something coming to the top. And what it is, is that is the Father leading you out into the wilderness. Because the thing about the wilderness is there's nothing there. There's like no distractions. And he can speak to you there. And what he does, it says, look at yourself. Look at all these good things. You've had some, some fuzziness, some cloudiness lately about who you are and about really what I've made you for. I've made you to do some really good and specific things. You're involved in all this stuff, but really there's probably about three strong things that you can do really well. And he wants to show you exactly what those things are. So the thing about that is when you find your strengths and you narrow in on them and you focus on them, then the focus on your weaknesses really start to rise to the top too. When you really start to figure out what you're good at, then you really start to figure out what you're bad at as well. But the father, he is not a father of shame or of guilt. And so his purpose of exposing you is because he's trying to teach you something. And when you see your weaknesses, first you meet humility. And then you meet provision. Because the purpose of him exposing your weaknesses is so that you can come to him and ask him to provide in the areas where you can't. So if there's something in you that's coming to the top and you're not sure what it is, then you might be in the wilderness. And... um so I'm getting ready to share something with you guys. I don't know if you've ever participated in something like this. <clears throat> I've never actually done it. Um, so I, I want to move on. I want to transition into what exactly it is. If you are in the wilderness, if you could check one or all three things that we just spoke about. And you can say, yes, I'm in the wilderness. I, I would really like to get out at some point. What I want to do is transition into uh, what exactly it is that the Father is preparing you for uh, or how he's preparing you and what you need to know before you can come out and into the areas that he's promised you. Uh, and I've got um, a particular scripture that I want to use to do that. Um, but before I move on, I just really feel like at this moment when I was journaling, I just so clearly felt God speaking to me because the whole reason I was researching this is because I'm, I just felt like in my life at that time I was right on the edge of like just an arm's length away for what he's promised me. And even in this moment, in this current situation in my life, I just feel like it's right there because I'm still learning some of this. But <clears throat> here is the encouragement of prophecy 
So you have a spot in your life where you're at currently. And you can see where God wants you to be. And there's a little gap there. And sometimes, if not treated appropriately, that gap can breed discouragement. Disappointment. Resentment. Bitterness. But the word says that the tongue is what gives life. And we don't live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the what? The mouth of God. So he wants you to use that to speak into that gap between where you are now and where you can see that he wants you. To crush down any disappointment, discouragement, or bitterness. And so what I felt like happened in this time as I was just writing, just kind of doing some studying and stuff, is I, I, in my mind, I had some thoughts, and I knew that these thoughts were put there from the Lord, like a seed being planted in the ground. I just knew that it was him because I, could, I couldn't come up with what I was thinking on my own. It was outside of my nature, better, upgraded. And in my, in my heart, in my soul, I just knew there was an intuition that the Lord was saying something. And so for a few minutes, I just wrote down what I felt like the Lord was saying. And I want to use that to speak over us into that gap for us this morning. So <clears throat> I'm going to read this. And uh, I, I want you to put your, your Bibles down, your notebooks down. Now is not a time to be distracted by trying to record something. If you, if you really want this, then I'll just email it to you. I just want you to relax. Um, <clears throat> I've heard the, the phrase uh, soaking or prophetic soaking used before. Uh, I, I didn't use that word because I, I felt like... Um, anyways, it's kind of specific to the church industry. I just wanted to explain it uh, in a way that, that demystified it. <clears throat> so I just want to speak this over you to you, okay? Just to be clear, this is what I felt like the Lord was saying f- to me and for me and for us. Right on? So just enjoy yourselves right now, okay? Close your eyes if you have to. So this is what he said about our wilderness journey. He says, my child, I'm speaking to you now because you are about to transition from one journey of your life to another. In your previous journey, there was joy and there was pain. Joy because I was showing you what could be possible with me. Pain because you had to leave behind some beliefs that you had about me that were not true. I cannot allow those lies to follow you into the place that I'm about to take you to. In the past, I've taught you about my provision. I have taught you that I am the one who meets your basic daily needs. In this new place that I am taking you, I am upgrading you from simple provision to an abundance with my inheritance. This is why I have been testing you, beloved to show you that you have what it takes to use all that I am giving you with wisdom and with favor. 
No longer will you stop short at the doorway of meager possibilities. You're not a nation of mediocrity. There is coming a time soon where I will say, all that I have is yours. What will you do with it, my child? When all sicknesses bow to the name that I've placed inside of you, will you speak it out loud? When you call upon all the resources that I own, will it speak of my love for the nations? When you walk into regions of darkness, will the light of my name come from your lips to overtake an entire city? Will the gentleness of my nature be demonstrated by you to calm all anxiety and pain and anger that you encounter? This is why we have been in the wilderness together, my love. I've been training your hands for war and preparing your head for a crown. No longer will the nation say, who is this wandering soul without a home? No. They will say, majesty has arrived. Let us make a place at the table for them and feast on the wisdom that is set before us. I will raise you up and you will represent me and you will know my instruction for the rest of your days. So I just want to speak that, um, like I said, into the gap of where we are now and in where we're going. Um, I really think that is, is bringing some life to some dry bones this morning. Uh, so the whole reason for being in the wilderness uh, is that it is a preparation time. And the Lord is really wanting us to know some specific things. And I think that we find these things um, in Matthew chapter 4. Because we see, we see Jesus fulfilling so many promises that we just couldn't get right for thousands of years. And I think it's so um, intricate that Jesus would be led into the wilderness and only spend 40 days there when it took us 40 years. It's almost like he was showing up to say, this is how it was supposed to be done. So this is where we find them in Matthew chapter four. It says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if I will fall down, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Something I noticed in verse uh, four of that Here's what God's wanting you to know in order for you to come out of, your, out of the wilderness. 
He needs you to know and believe that he is the provider. The devil's tempting him. He says, hey, you're hungry. You're the son of God. You can turn those stones into bread. Why don't you just go ahead and do that? And Jesus gives him a rebuttal. And what he is declaring is that he understands that God is the one who meets our needs. And we don't have to do something to try to get it on our own. If you have a poor self-image, are you going to wait on the Lord and ask him to provide a healing for you that will change your perspective, that will increase your worth and your value? Or are you going to try to do it on your own? Are you going to try to make yourself feel better on your own by comparing yourself to people who seem to be less than you? Jesus is very specific in Matthew chapter 7 about not comparing yourself to other people, and that's why. Because he has something to provide for you, and you don't have to get it on your own. Here's one. I didn't have this in my notes, but it just came to my mind in first service, and I could not get past it. Because it's a little risky, but you know what, guys? I'm a counselor before I'm a youth pastor, and I break a lot of social etiquette rules. But this is real. I'll PG it for you. In a, in a marital relationship, there comes a time when men, we, our hormones are raging. Our spouse is not on the same wavelength as us right that can create some tension in a relationship because for men food it's like a basic need it's like food water marital relations right but there's a tension that builds if it's prolonged if we're not on the same page right I've seen a lot of guys in my office where that has been the case and they've tried to provide for themselves There was a need that wasn't being met. Instead of asking the father for that need to be met, for something to happen in the minds of of both spouses, they'll try to do it on their own. They'll end up in situations where they're looking at things they shouldn't be looking at. Are we tracking? I'm trying to keep it PG, right? (laughs) Wives. How much, if, if things aren't going really great in our, relationship if our husbands haven't quite walked into that spirit of gentleness and kindness yet and that male co-worker like we start reading a little too far into the compliment that they give us are you going to try to get your needs met on your own if you're a person of high anxiety and there are things that you do whether with with actions or routine or with substances, if you're full of worry and panic and anxiety, are you going to try to do something to to get peace on your own? Or are you going to trust God as the provider and he's the one who gives it to you? If you want to come out of the wilderness, then you have to know God as the provider. Here's the other thing. 
Satan came to him and said, um, in verse 7, Jesus said to him, again, it's written, you should not put your God your test. Um, the devil said, hey, throw yourself off this cliff. The word says that God will not let any harm come to you. Jesus gave a rebuttal. He said, but don't put your God to the test. And what he was doing is Jesus was quoting a scripture uh, that's actually out of Deuteronomy. Chapter 6, verse 16, it says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. And when I found that out, I was like, well, what happened at Massa? And again, we find Israel in the situation where they are, um, they're complaining again. They're thirsty. And they come up onto this mountaintop and what God instructs Moses to do is to hit the rock with a staff and then this water comes out. The moral of that story is not to complain until you get what you want. But what happened is, is that Moses named it Massa and Meribah, which means quarreling and testing. Because as they were complaining, this is what Israel was saying. If you remember, before this journey even began, God said, I will be with you. He promised them that. And some time had passed by and all of a sudden God wasn't going to make good on his promise. And what you see in Exodus 17, 7, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? He said in the very beginning that I would be with you. So when God says something to you and you know that you know that you know it's him and then at some point later say God did you really say this is the same thing as testing him and what he's saying is "Ooh, I want you to come out of the wilderness so bad and I have something promised for you so good And if you could just take me at my word, then you could get it. So if you want to come out of the wilderness, you have to see him as the provider. And you have to take him at his word. Here's the last thing. You have to be able to give God the credit. So at the end, Satan's like, hey, I'll give you all this if you worship me. Jesus says, nope. The word says you can only worship God and serve him. That's really important. Because what you worship is what you end up serving. I I like to use this analogy a lot. I have some friends that I went to school with. um, And um, a couple of them are in certain paths where like, (laughs) just frankly, like there's a lot of vanity in their lives like the way that they look is contingent a lot on their mood and how they treat people companies give them things they get to travel because of their looks or their skills or their talents and what happens is none of that is necessarily bad 
It just depends where you give the credit. Because people on the outside, they look at that and they say, oh, they develop this mindset and they say, if you look like this, then you'll be happy and you get these things and you get to go to these places. And I want these things and I want to go to these places. So then I need to look like this. And something that seems so innocent ends up becoming idolatry. And so all their time and money is invested on how they look. So we have to be very careful that when we walk into the good gifts that God gives us, that we give credit to where credit's due. Because if we don't, we can set someone else on the path to pursue whatever it is that we said, this is how we got there. Oh, you're a great speaker. No one's ever said that about me, but I'm good with it. Thanks. And uh, so what I did to be a great speaker is I, I put in 15 hours of study time and then six hours of writing and then um, I rehearsed it in the mirror for another hour. That's crap. The only reason that I could ever be good at anything is because of the Lord. And if I don't share it that way, then someone else who wants to be good at something is going to go try to do it the way that I told them to do it. And it may not work for them. And they'll keep beating their head up against the wall, doing something that doesn't work for them when they should be going to the Lord. And he gives them the good thing. And that's where the credit's due. So if you're ready to come out of this wilderness journey and into what the Lord has promised you, you have to see him as the provider. You have to take him at his word. You have to give him the credit.